Today on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 1, with a message titled, Breaking the Chains. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Mark 5, Breaking the Chains, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. My experience with the Lord has been this, that when I came to Jesus Christ in my early 20s, um, I had a lot of chains around my neck. It almost reminds me of the story of Ebenezer Scrooge when Jacob Marley comes to him and says, your chain was this long seven Christmases ago. And uh, we, we have chains in our lives. Sometimes our chains are emotional pain, psychological. Sometimes it's all the wounds and scars from childhood and things that happened there. Sometimes it's a combination of things. And link by link, those chains can be broken in your life if you allow the Lord to have access to you. So we are going to look at a story this morning that is one of the, one writer put it this way, we're going to look at one of the scariest dudes in the Bible, a man that has been so chained down by demonic power that he doesn't even look human anymore. And we're going to watch Jesus confront him. Um, We're going to watch Jesus set him free. And it's an incredible story. But it's not just a story. It's something that actually happened in history. And it's something that happens over and over and over again. Every time someone meets Jesus, the chains are broken. The chains of the enemy are broken. Your chains can be broken this morning if you're willing to allow him to have access to your life. Now, if you were with us last time, Jesus has just calmed the... Uh, storm on the Sea of Galilee, and it's been an incredible miracle, and the disciples are so overwhelmed by the fact that he can speak to the natural elements and get a response that they say, who is this then that even the wind and the waves obey him? And that's how we ended the last story, from a storm on the sea to a storm on the land. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And then he slept for a while because he needed sleep so desperately. But the disciples did not know what they were in for. Their faith was being stretched in the storm on the lake, but they were about to get more faith stretching. Because when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, the other side was pagan territory. It was known as the Decapolis. That'll sound familiar to some of you, maybe to others, no, but the idea of the, the, the DEC or the Decalogue or the Decapolis is the 10 cities. And they were founded by the Greeks and then they became Roman-dominated cities. And they were very pagan. They practiced the fertility cult. There was Baal worship going on. The pig was the sacred animal, which was abominable to the Jews. And if you read up on this, uh, one of the reasons why the area was abominable was there was a co-mingling of Jew and Gentile. And so this was the area that Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side, and the disciples probably were not too excited to go over there. And from the account, we read, Jesus goes, 
He sets this man free. Uh, One account has two men, and we'll talk about that. And then he leaves, which would make it clear to me as a student of the Bible that Jesus came to the other side of the lake, to the Decapolis, for the purpose of setting one man free. Just like he did with the woman at the well when he said, when John 4 says, he had to pass through Samaria, well, he had to go to the Decapolis. And I believe that this is an act of God's mercy. I believe that what we're seeing here is his desire to break the chains in people's lives. I don't know what chains you have in your life, but that's what he wants to do. Isaiah 52, 2 says these words. It says, shake yourself from the dust, rise up, O captive Jerusalem, loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Jeremiah 40, verse 4 says, But now, behold, I am freeing you today from the chains which are on your hands. If you would prefer to come with me to Babylon, come along, and I will look after you. But if you would prefer not to come with me to Babylon, never mind. Look, the whole land is before you. Wherever it seems good and right, go. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to serve? Jesus in John 10, verse 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. As a Christian, uh, in my early years, I heard about this abundant life that Christians were supposed to be enjoying. Jesus said, I came that you might have life to the full, There was only one problem for me as a new Christian. I didn't know what that meant. I had heard about the abundant life, but I I wasn't necessarily living it, at least not consistently. And then I found out there were two sides to this spiritual coin. Jesus came to give us life and that to the full, but there is an enemy who comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came, 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. He came to destroy those things that try to destroy us. His power is greater than all the power, not just on the earth, but in the universe. And Jesus says, amen, do you believe it? He says, let's go over to the other side, boys. It's time for some more faith stretching. Once you become a Christian, It's not just about your deliverance, it's about other people hearing about how their chains can be broken. And that's part of what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He was trying to show them that it's not about you arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom and getting your mommy to ask me if you can sit on my right hand and on my left hand. Boys, that's not what this is about. This is about you going with this gospel and showing other people how they can be free. That's what the church exists to do, to be missionaries. In fact, you could say that Jesus, his visit to the Decapolis is a short-term missions trip. Pretty quick, pretty short. (laughs) Shows up in the morning, frees a man, gets back in the boat because they didn't want him to stick around. These 10 cities in rabbinic tradition, the teaching of the rabbis were cities where uh, Joshua had pushed the Canaanite peoples to the other side of the Jordan River. So that's why it was kind of seen as Gentile territory and dominated by that particular mindset. And here's where Jesus goes to these 10 cities to set people free. 
This section that uh, we're in right now uh, tackles the four greatest areas where we have fear. I'm gonna give this to you as an outline and we'll tackle this as we go ahead. But if you're taking notes, let me just give it to you. Four overwhelming fears of humanity. Fear of natural forces, Mark 4, 35 through 40. Jesus has just calmed the sea. We get, you know, we hear of tornadoes, storms, earthquakes, the like. We can feel out of control, floods, that kind of thing. Jesus' power over natural forces, Mark 4, 35 through 40. His power over demonic forces is in our story here, Mark 5, 1 through 20. Um, That's something else that freaks people out. Unseen dark forces. It can be very, a very freaky, weird idea. Jesus has power over them. The third area is power over physical sickness in Mark 5, 21 through 34. Here's where Jesus will touch the woman with the flow of blood. She spent all her money on doctors, found no healing, no answers to her questions. We get fearful of that sickness. And can we find healing in that sickness? And finally, Jesus' power over physical death is found in Mark 5, 35 through 43, where he talks to the little girl who was dead and says, little girl, arise. Power over natural forces, demonic forces, physical sickness, and physical death. That's our Jesus. And Mark is written to Christians in Rome who were suffering persecution, and they needed to know that they had a savior who still had power, power to deliver, power to answer the deepest questions of our lives if we will allow him in our lives. And they came to the other side, Mark 5, verse 1, of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. This is on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Luke 8.26 says, parallel account, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. I think when they pulled the boat up on the shore, they looked at one another and said, we're not in Galilee anymore. (laughs) Get ready, boys. I don't know what we're going to see over here, but this is a side of the lake that the Jews didn't even want to consider. And here, uh, Jesus leads them right to confront evil. By the way, evil isn't confronting Jesus. Jesus is confronting evil. That's what he did. It was his idea to go to the other side of the lake. It was his idea to go to this area uh, of the Gerasene region. Now, there's a little discussion about uh, this particular region and where it was, but if you look at some history on it, what was happening is it was on the shore, and it had these kind of steep uh, hills that came down, and there were caverns up on the hillsides, and there were cutouts. You can see them today. If you do a little internet search on this area, and the caverns were kind of caves, and there were tombs back there as well. And so it was an area with steep cliffs, kind of right on the shore, and then if you looked up into the hillside, you could see cutouts, and you could see things where people could hide, and even tombs up there. And when he had come out of the boat, Mark 5, verse 2, immediately, so no time to even really kind of get acquainted to the area, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Matthew 8, 28, the parallel account says, when he had come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him. And they were coming out of the tombs, 
and they were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by the road. Now, critics of the Bible say, was it two or was it one? Two men or one men? Two angels or one angel? You hear in different uh, gospel accounts, there was one angel, then there's two angels. Well, wherever there's two, there's one. I know that's deep. Try to think about it. I, I hope you had your coffee. I hope you were able to get a donut. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. But what you need to know is that gospel writers sometimes focus on one instead of two. Remember, these are eyewitness accounts, except for Luke's gospel. What we have in Mark is the recollections of Peter led by the Holy Spirit. Peter chooses to focus on the one. Maybe the more dominant one, maybe the one whose transformation was more significant, I don't know for sure. But just remember, wherever there's two, there's one. This is not a contradiction. This is complementary. The gospel writers were aware of other, other people's recollections, and there are even critical scholars that say one gospel writer borrowed from another. So look, they're not dumb. They're just focusing on, you know how eyewitness accounts, uh, you can hear people tell a story of an accident that happened or an event that happened that was kind of, you know, made people nervous and kind of uh, uh, maybe threw them out of whack or surprised them. And if you get eyewitness accounts, how many different versions of a story can you get with people maybe 10 minutes later? It's not necessarily contradictory. It's just that some people focus on specific details while others don't. But here we have a man who runs down from the tombs and he has an unclean spirit. This is the stuff of a horror movie. This is the stuff of like, Jesus, I'm gonna wait in the boat. <laughs> but let's not forget, first of all, that this man is an actual human being. And uh, one writer says, typically but not always, those under the sway of demons descend to filthy living. He's said to have an unclean spirit, both physically and morally. It is not incidental that the rise of occultism and Satanism these last few years has been accompanied by increasing drug abuse, pornography, and obscenity, close quote. There's a dark world out there, folks. And the forces of darkness are behind a lot of this filth that is being spread all over our world. And when you open the door to this kind of junk, just remember what you are supporting. If you want to justify it or say, oh, it's not a big deal, what you give your money to, what you support, if you're messing with this stuff, you're ultimately messing that which is the darkest stuff on this earth. Now look, we all have our issues and struggles, but we might look at this particular individual and say, man, this is so far from me. I don't even know if I believe this. I don't even know if, if I believe this can happen. Oh, it can happen. 
And there's been very reputable sources that have told stories about supernatural strength. And running into one story, Dr. Martin tells of a girl that weighed no more than 100 pounds and she was flipping people off of her like they were nothing. She had supernatural strength. And she had been messing, in fact, her mom had been messing with a Ouija board and uh, seances and the like. You say, well, you know, is this an extreme case? Sure it is. And by the way, the Bible does not uh, attribute every weird case to demonic possession. It says that people were sick that Jesus dealt with. He dealt with epileptics. He dealt with, you know, people who were hurting in all myriad of issues. But he also dealt with people who were dealing with demonic darkness. The Bible tells us in many different places that we all can be influenced by Satan's work. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give the devil an opportunity. It has to do with unresolved anger. Don't, uh, it warns not to fall into the condemnation and snare of the devil in 1 Timothy 3.6 and 7, which has to do with pride. 1 Timothy 4.1 talks about doctrines of demons. James 3.15 and 16 says, where there is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it is wisdom from below that is unspiritual and demonic. The Christian is to suit up in Ephesians 6.11 against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. Now, not everything that we deal with is demonic. C.S. Lewis said the devils love two things. One, that you are so fascinated with them that you believe everything that happens is because of them. And the other extreme that they love is that you don't believe in them. The truth has to be somewhere in the middle in this case. Oftentimes, what happens to us in our lives has nothing to do with the devil. It's us. We look in the mirror and we have met the enemy, and it is us. Sometimes we've just took, taken the revolver metaphorically and shot ourselves in the foot, and we've got nobody to blame but ourselves. The devil made me do it. Doesn't always fly. However, he is still alive and active in this world, and we wrestle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Demonization, as some scholars call it, does occur, and Satan does move often in more subtle ways. You've all heard the song, Devil with the Blue Dress, Blue Dress song. Did that just totally date me? <laughs> How many of you know that song? All right. <laughs> not totally alone <laughs> and he Mark 5 3 had his dwelling among the tombs no one was able to bind him anymore even with a chain what a fitting picture a chain for a while they were able to chain him no, notice it says no one was able to bind him anymore it sounds like a digression Sounds like for a while they could. Sounds like for a while they were able, almost like a wild animal, to kind of just tie this guy so he wouldn't cause too many problems. But th there was a digression, meaning that it got worse and worse. And this is what happens with people who mess with the occult. At first, it sounds good. You might say, well, what's the fascination to occultism and, and things like magic and witchcraft? Because there's a promise of power. There's a promise that you can control your environment. 
There's a weird fascination that some people have with the dark things and even that which is evil. We understand that. There's parts of us that we're kind of intrigued by that stuff. Hmm, I wonder what's going on there. And when you open the door, sometimes what happens is the face is a smiling face. Oh, this will be wonderful for you. It'll be great. It'll be a wonderful journey, a spiritual journey for you until you find that you've opened the door to something much darker than you realized. This is what happens with a lot of people. They become dead even while they live. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says, she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. And these two men, and the focus here on the one man, they were the walking dead. He didn't even live in a house anymore. He lived among the tombs. How fitting. He lived among the dead because in all practical purposes, he was dead. Dead in his trespasses and sins. By the way, Ephesians 2.2 says, spiritually, that's where everybody is who doesn't know Christ. They're dead even while they live. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. He had come to save this man. Luke's parallel account, Luke 8.27, says when he had come out onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons who had not put on any clothing for a long time. He was not living in a house, but in the tombs. The man was naked, and he lived in a graveyard. Weird. This is the stuff of horror movies. This is like, whoa. What is going on with this particular individual? We've heard some stories of people who have been on PCP, people who have been in weird states of mind who run around naked, take off their clothes, and run around on the street. And when it happens, it's a bizarre situation indeed. And so they, uh, he descends to this filthy living, and he has become indeed a sad man. Because he had often been bound with shackles, look at Mark 5, 4, and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. You might want to write in your notes there, not yet. He's about to meet someone who's plenty strong enough. But it's gotten to the point where even the chains that people tried to use, he's able to break them now. And maybe even some people saw it as a game. Maybe he took your buddies up there and said, hey, let's go and see what we can deal with the dude up there. Teenagers typically do that kind of thing. Where are you going? We're going to take our buddies over there to see the madman. Don't do that. Now he's breaking the chains. I think he's at such a point now that nobody even wants to try. Sometimes in the night, people hear howls and screams, and they say, don't go over there. Lost cause. Beyond help. Sign posted, witch's castle, half a mile ahead. I would turn around if I were you. Fans, name the movie, The Wizard of Oz. One of the greatest stories ever told. (laughs) And the lion, that sign was enough for him. Okay, let's go. (laughs) I do believe in spooks, I do, I do. Sorry, anyway. 
and constantly night and day, verse five, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out. This means to croak or scream or shriek, gashing himself. It means to chop down and mangle, to cut or to cut oneself to pieces. He would scream, move among the tombs and the mountains night and day constantly, and he would gash himself with stones. Whew. Radical. Torn apart, broken in pieces is a great description of the man. Intervals during night and day, he would let out a howl. He would gash himself with jagged rocks. One writer says, in an obvious attempt to drive out the evil spirits, the poor naked man was a mass of bleeding lacerations, scabs, infections, scar tissue, living in a delirium of pain and masochistic displeasure. The man was wild, naked, unkempt, and dill. And as a result, all were against him. In his lucid moments, he surely realized how repulsive, unloved, and unwelcomed he was. He was dehumanized, animalized, marginalized, and both frightening and fearful. What incredible misery. Every detail emphasized his pathetic condition. Well, it's been another year, Pastor Michael, and we all hope that it's been a blessed year for everybody out there that's in our listening family. We have come to the end of a part one of a message in Mark chapter 5. Is there anything that we can talk about for the listeners out there that we can encourage them? A fascination with the dark things, even as a Christian, is unhealthy. A fascination with you know anything like that, that power. And on the flip side, a denial of the reality of the spiritual world is just... It's just flat-out biblical ignorance, Oscar, um, because the Bible clearly teaches that there's a spiritual world, that there are demons, which we believe are fallen angels. And, uh, you know, when you see Jesus doing ministry in the Gospels, it's almost alarming, I think especially in the Gospel of Mark, how many times he runs into cases of demon possession. Mm -hmm. And the man with legion is no exception. It seems like one of those ones that really stands out to us. Um, and the man is among the tombs. No one He breaks the chains. People try to chain him. No one can uh, subdue him. He's a frightening, awful person who's been devastated by demonic possession and you know you have to ask the question how how did this happen to him mm -hmm. we don't know for sure but we know he lived on the side of the lake that was very occultic messing with uh, pagan religion and that kind of thing and that probably opened the door and uh, he was an absolute disaster he was really walking death until he met the one who was life. And when they went to the other side of the lake, Oscar, it, it seems from the account that the sole purpose of that trip, and even the storm that came with it, mm -hmm. was because Jesus was on a rescue mission to rescue one man who maybe from the depths of his soul was crying out, but had been so dominated by a multitude of, of demonic spirits. So I think Jesus, seeing him on a rescue mission, he initiates, you know, the guy does come running up to him, but you know, Jesus had a mission uh, to free this man. And I think that's the beauty of Christ's love, the power of his deliverance. Uh, th though the man was filled with a multitude of demons, the demons were really powerless. They're, they're afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. right? They say, have you come to torment before us before the time? And so uh, Jesus cast them out. And I think a good way to focus um, this story is to focus on the man's, the beauty of his deliverance. Thank you for listening to today's program. 
If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.